Uh, well, this morning for us, we begin a new journey. Um, this church, in its 10-year existence, we've never gone through the book of Revelation. I've never preached straight through the book of Revelation, so this is a new journey for both of us. Uh, so with going through Revelation, let me just give you just some, like, some precautions, some guidelines of how we are walking through this series together. First, as you probably already know, there are many different opinions and interpretations of parts of Revelation. So you're going to need to bring your Bibles every Sunday. You're going to be leaning in, listening for how God is speaking to you. Like, I want you looking at your word. I know some of you prefer the words on the screen so you can take notes. That's fine, but I really want you, like, looking, examining what's being said, um, knowing that God is speaking to you, and this is a book for you to be learning from and growing um, but also whether or not, you know, am I teaching heresy? So let me just say this. Now, heresy does not mean that I'm teaching something different from what you believe. It doesn't necessarily mean it's heresy. Uh, heresy is something that's against orthodoxy. So this is not just your personal opinion. Uh, so heresy would be me saying, for example, Christ is not physically, literally returning. That should throw up red flags. That is heresy, Okay. Now, me disagreeing with you on when Christ is returning, that is not necessarily heresy. So please don't call me a heretic on Twitter, Facebook, whatever your means are. Come talk to me first before you declare those things about me. Um, but just because we disagree on some parts of Revelation doesn't mean that, that you know, I'm a heretic, you're a heretic. Um, Revelation is challenging, so we just need to understand that. Um, and, and, and just the fact that Revelation is, um, you know, it can bring some different, um, you know, pockets of, yeah, I believe this, you believe this, it, 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 that kind of just goes with our theme since this last political season. You know, the political season tried its best to bring this union in our congregation. Some of you were shocked and appalled that there are people here who voted for Biden. Some of you were shocked and appalled that there are people here who voted for Trump. And we're here. we got to do life together. And some of you, you were shocked and appalled that there are people here that vote for either one of those guys. And so, you know, some would say, how can you be a Christian and vote for Biden? How can you be a Christian and vote for Trump? Um, and then, you know, so likewise, like in this series of Revelation, so some of you are like, some of you are going to be all mill in your end of time thinking. Some of you are going to be pre-trib, pre-mill. And some of you have no idea what I just said. And so... We're going to have all these facets of people that like, and some of you don't care about any of that. So we've got to figure it out. Why? Because we're a family. Uh, the Bible calls us a family of God. We're the people of God. And families disagree, but we just don't quit being family. We figure it out how to do life together. And so that's where we are. If you're, um, if you're new to the Bible, it won't take you that long to, to figure out that Revelation is different from the books we've been looking at. Like, Malachi and Nehemiah, this is different. Or maybe if you're in a community group and, uh, and you're studying John, John's gospel, maybe you're a student, you've been coming on Tuesday nights, you've been going through Mark. Revelation's different. The, the genre is, is one of the reasons why this book has allowed for, or there's so many interpretations. The genre shifts. So like this morning we'll see like this prologue, like this basic introduction, like a lot of the books start. So it won't be that different today, but then it moves to more like a letter, so it reads more like a New Testament epistle, but then it gets into like prophetic, apocalyptic, with like a lot of symbolism. 
So here's this, like, when do we take the Bible literally and when do we take it symbolically? I personally lean on taking things literally. Um, like, for example, there are some people that think Old Testament figures like, like um, Adam and Eve and Abraham, Moses, those were, those were just to teach us some form of morality. They didn't, like, literally historically exist. Um, and there's just something that we can learn from. I think that is garbage. It's garbage theology. Um, I think those accounts are literal historical accounts that actually happened. And yes, we can also learn something from them. So th- there's going to be times when like scripture is written like poetry, like Psalms. Um, it's going to have a lot of symbolism. Um, and then you're going to see other times like scripture uses like metaphors or symbolism that we don't take that literally. Like for example, in John's gospel, Jesus says he's light of the world. He's not he doesn't mean for us to take that as like a literal statement. He's, he, he's not, you know, light of the world in the sense that he works for AEP and like he's bringing like light on right now in this room. That's not what he means by he's light of the world. Being light of the world means that he, um, like, like through Jesus, the world will make sense. That he sheds clarity, he sheds light into our lives. He gives us purpose. That's what it means when Jesus says he's light of the world. So there's a lot of symbolism in Revelation. So there's going to be a lot of like, what does this mean? I'm not quite sure. Is this confusing? Uh, and, and, and some people are going to argue that they take Revelation just completely literally. And I would argue, no, they don't. No one takes every word of Revelation literally. It would be foolish, in fact, to take every word literally because John doesn't do that. The author, John, uh, here in a few weeks, we'll see that he talks about these lampstands. And so... He does not mean for the lampstands to be literal. Um, And so he makes it easy for us with that because he will say, John will say, the seven golden lampstands are for the seven churches. So it's a picture. It's not a literal lampstand standing there for John to see. But John is kind to give us that, but John doesn't always tell us so plainly what these pictures are. So this is where we get, you know, um, there's going to be just some, I don't know what you believe or this or that. Um, And so... There's going to be a lot of patience, uh, so I'm going to ask that you be patient with me, and, and I'll be patient with you uh, as we study this book, but we've got to study. We've got to dig deep. It's a, it's a challenging book. Um, it, there's a lot of Old Testament language in this book, so there's 404 verses in Revelation. In those 404 verses, there are 285 Old Testament citations where it quotes Old Testament um, and then there's as many as 550 just Old Testament allusions, like redrawing like some picture of, of Old Testament. So there's a lot of Old Testament language in this. And so what I want to say, I don't want to get caught up with like timelines and charts and graphs. What I want us to see is that from Revelation 1.1 to Revelation 22.21, that this revelation is from Jesus and about Jesus. Uh, so why should we study this book? Well, first, it's God's Word. It's no less inspired than any one of the Gospels. So 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So why should we study this book? Well, quite simply, it's breathed out by God. These are God's words for his people to hear. It's just as inspired as the book of Romans or any of the Gospels. Okay, so 
These are God's words. And then we see here that revelation is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that's a reason why we study it. Secondly, um, it's good for us to study different types of books um, this morning. It's going to challenge you as listeners. It's going to challenge me in my preaching. Uh, And so we need to be challenged. And so there's that reason. Third, there is a specific blessing given in Revelation that's not given anywhere else in all the Bible. Revelation 1 Verse 3 says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So there's a blessing for us to read these words aloud. Then there's this blessing for those who hear and keep the words of Revelation. You're you're blessed. Now That's pretty cool. Like You know that you're blessed when you hear these words and you keep them. So you want a blessing from the Lord? Here you go. That's that's an amazing promise for us. So let's read a portion of God's word from Revelation this morning. And let's be blessed by listening to this. So Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads the words aloud, um, the, the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, And all tribes of the earth will well on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. Father, we um, are thankful for your word. We're thankful for just the blessing that we just received, that we just got to hear your word. We got to hear it aloud, and now I pray that... um, You'd be so kind to help us to keep your word so that we may be blessed by not just hearing your word, but by observing, by keeping your word. So we thank you for your grace and mercies this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so now let's just walk through these eight verses. These are just amazing verses. Let's, let's begin looking at the first two. So it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, Uh, The things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So the word here, revelation, that's in your Bible, it's the Greek word apocalypse. So apocalypse or revelation 
is defined like this. It's defined as communication of previously hidden knowledge to man by divine or supernatural agency. So everything we're reading, these are things that were hidden. They're now being revealed to John for us um, about God. So this revelation, it says there's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It could easily be translated as a revelation from Jesus Christ, of and from um, in Greek are, are the same. And so there's this revealing of information from or of Jesus Christ about in times. So that's what apocalyptic means. It means in times. Uh, prophecy just means something about the future. Uh, apocalyptic would mean something about the future, specifically about the end of times. So that's what we're reading about. This is a book about end of times. Um, but it might surprise you, like this book is not just about like Jesus' second coming. Like that's, we, don't, we don't really see that explicitly till near the end. Um, and, and so... This book is about, you know, the, the coming of that. And, and so um, these, the, as we see here in this verse, that these are the things that must soon take place. Now, how in the world can we trust a book that says soon take place and has been 2,000 years since it's written? Like, that's not how we use the word soon, is it? And so, like, if I ask Olivia, hey, when's dinner going to happen? And she says, it's soon going to take place. I'm not going to be sitting around waiting 2,000 years. Like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, soon from her means like, you know, a few minutes, maybe, maybe 30. Soon. Like we know what soon means. Well, we need to understand like how Scripture uses soon because there's this idea of kingdom. The kingdom is like the now and not yet. And so um, soon takes place. It occurs seven times in Revelation. And it, what it emphasizes is this idea of imminence or expectancy, like you just are expecting it to happen. And so throughout the New Testament, this idea of time is interesting because like Hebrews 1 verse 2 says that we're now in, in these last days, like right now, these are the last days. James 5 tells us the judge stands at the door, not will be standing someday, but present, like stands at the door. And then John, um, 1 John chapter 2 says it's the last hour. Well, what does that mean? Like, it's because this kingdom is the now and not yet. It's all unfolding. And so, so this idea of revelation is some of these things are happening. So John can say soon takes place because some of it is taking place already. But then there's some events we're still waiting on. So more than like timelines and eschatology, I want you to understand the purpose of this book is to make much of Jesus. So some of you, you have your guard up already thinking about we're studying Revelation. You're like, oh man, like I remember doing that in youth group sometime and it was so confusing and like I just didn't want to do it and it took forever. Uh, It was so, you know, just, I don't know, like there's so many people just are reserved about Revelation. I want you to just maybe take your guard down this morning and just think about Christ. Like, I I want you to marvel at Christ, who he is, because that's the purpose of this. God intended to bless, to comfort, to encourage his people in every generation to be faithful, to persevere, especially during persecution and suffering. So that's like the thrust of this. Like, we're going to persevere. God wants us to find comfort that he is returning for his people Suffering will end. Um, 
we see here at the end of verse 1 that this message was made known through John, um, or to John through, a, through an angel. And so who is John? Well, John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was part of this inner circle of three. So Jesus had 12 disciples, but then he pulled aside three, and he would spend some time just with these three. It was Peter, James, and John. So this is John, same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. This is this John. Um, and so uh, we see next week, in, uh, later in Revelation chapter 1, that he was stranded on an island called Patmos. Um, he was stranded there because of his faith in Christ. So I love that here he's called a witness. A witness is someone who's testifying about something. Think of a courtroom. So he's testifying about what he's seen. So he's a witness of Christ. Historically, John is, is the only one of the 12 disciples that was not martyred for their faith. Uh, he basically you know, just lived out his, his, uh, his life. He died, an old man. But he suffered. He, he faced intense persecution. History shows us that John uh, was once, um, he had hot oil poured over his body. Uh, and then he was stranded on this island, just left there. Uh, and so I'm sure there are many times where he would rather have just died than just be left um, alive. And so this is who this letter is coming through. Um, and then we come to this promise that we read in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads, the word, uh, reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So we, we don't specifically know why this book has its promise, where no other no other book has like a direct promise like this one. Um, maybe it's because it's so mysterious. Maybe the Lord's like, listen, I know it's going to maybe confuse some of you. You're not going to want to read it. You'd rather just read a gospel. So I'm going to add this blessing. So it's like the extra incentive for you to read it. So you'll be blessed. So just read it, all right? Or maybe it's because he speaks directly from heaven. So this is unique. Like this message is from heaven and, and it's talking about heaven. Um, so maybe it's, it's simply because it's, Mainly about heaven's favorite topic, you know, namely Jesus Christ himself. So maybe that's why there's this blessing. Um, but as I mentioned, this book is it's mostly concerned about elevating, about esteeming Jesus more than it is about some eschatology, about some timeline, uh, any charts. Um, if you leave this series and you don't have a higher view of Jesus then either I've done a poor job communicating that or you've done a poor job listening. Um, if you leave here just concerned about an eschatology and all the timelines and stuff, then you've missed the point of this book. And many great theologians, so I'm not just saying, like, I'm saying this because it is possible for us to miss this because many great theologians in the past have missed this point. Um, they've made the mistake and, and just missed the point of this book. Like, John Calvin nor Martin Luther, neither, they, they wrote many commentaries. Neither wrote a commentary on Revelation. Uh, and even Luther was critical of the book of Revelation. Now, Luther was critical of the book of James. You know, he, he thought we'd be better off without James. Um, he was critical of the book of Revelation. Luther said this, my spirit cannot accommodate itself to this book. So he's like, I, I just, I don't even know what to do with it. He goes on, he says, there is one sufficient reason for the small esteem in which I hold it, that Christ is neither taught nor recognized. So here you got Martin Luther leading this Reformation, 
Huge, I mean, huge um, impact in church history. Saying he has little, actually quote to quote him, small esteem for the book of Revelation. Because Christ is neither taught nor recognized. Like, this is crazy. Like, what revelation is he reading? How is Christ not recognized? How is he not esteemed? Chapters 4 and 5 talk about Christ. Like, looking out, like, who's, gonna, who's worthy to open the scroll? And, and they're looking around. No one can open the scroll. Here's the Lamb. Here's Christ is the only one that can do it. And everybody's worshiping the, 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 the Lamb of God. And somehow Luther completely misses Christ being esteemed here. If Luther was alive today, I would take the written copy of Revelation and I would nail it to his door and say, there you go, Luther. Like, read this. And I would highlight where Christ is esteemed and made much of. So we're going to make much of Christ. Hopefully Luther, um, he, maybe he's um, repented of his, his thought. And you know, I, I feel bad for those guys. Like, how many of you have posted something you tweet out something, then later you regret it. So here's Luther. You know, he's long gone. He wrote, penned it. He, he can't go back and take it off his, his wall. You know, it's done. So we see the purpose of Revelation in this verse. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So we are blessed for hearing and keeping what is written. Um, so John wants us to read to hear and to keep what is written in Revelation. Much like James says, let us not be just hearers of the word, um, but doers also. So we also, let us not just listen to Revelation, take good notes, and not apply this to our lives. We need to be obedient. We need to hear. We need to obey. And what we believe, we need to live out. Um, so this book is going to challenge us to live a faithful life for Christ. Then next we come to the audience. So who this book is written to, the recipients. Look at verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from seven spirits who are before his throne. All right, so the number seven, you're going to see over and over and over. It's a, it's a super important number in the Bible. I'm RL, you're excited for this series just because of number seven. Um, and so it's important number throughout the Bible. It's really important in Revelation. And so it appears 54 times in just this book. Here we see seven churches and seven spirits. The number seven means complete or perfect or fullness of. We see in Genesis 1 where God completes creation after the seventh day. So there's this picture of creation here. After the seventh day, it is this idea of it's perfect, it's complete. And this is where we begin to have some differing views and opinions on Revelation. We got through the first three verses, great. No, no, like, no arguments, no different views, first three verses. Then we get to verse four, we're like, okay, now, what does this mean? And so here we go. These, these seven churches, what does that mean? Some would say that they're literal churches, that, that these are seven churches that are in Asia. This would be Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. And then um, they are listed over the next few chapters in Revelation, basically in order of which these letters would have been distributed. Um, now, others would suggest that this is not specifically talking about those seven literal churches, 
But keeping in mind the number seven means complete or fullness. So this should be understood as something profitable for the fullness of all churches. So when saying seven churches, it means to, you know, to all the churches. The fullness of all the churches, um, this is for them. That the book of Revelation is um, full of symbolism. And we're going to see symbolism everywhere. Um, so some people take um, the entire Bible to be literal. Um, and, and I mentioned already that I, I lean to being a literalist. But there's times where, like, there's symbolism. And so we've, this is where Revelation is challenging for us. We cannot take every part of Revelation literally. Uh, so then if we can't, then it's going to come back to some subjective interpretation of the reader. And this is where it's challenging. Like, many argue that there, are, there is this literal thousand-year reign. And you'll literally see that in Revelation 20. It says there's a thousand-year reign. You can't argue that. Like, it's literally there. Um, but then that same person might not say that, uh, that there's a literal mark of the beast. They'll say, well, that's symbolic. That, that it's really not going to have a 666 on your hand or your, or your forehead. Uh, you know, some of you, you know, you've heard the conspiracies that it's actually the vaccine, right? Or, or it could be like this chip that gets put into your hand so that you can buy things at Walmart. Uh, and, and so the mark of the beast isn't literal, and so I, I just want us to be honest. Like, this is challenging. Like, there's going to be some places where you're going to say, yeah, that's literal. But then there's other places where you're going to say, no, that's symbolic, these numbers. And I just want us to say, let, let's just try to be consistent and understand uh, it's challenging. Let's be gracious with one another. Um, and then there's times where something symbolic can also be literal. And so that's, that's challenging as well. Like, um, you know, there's just examples all throughout scripture where things um you know it's literal but it can be like symbolic and so it, it, this is challenging so my point is understanding revelation there's this challenge to it but just because it's challenging doesn't mean that we should avoid it so let's let's spend time let's study it let's let's dive into this because at the end of the day whether this is seven literal churches or just a way to describe all of the churches it's not going to change the application in fact, every New Testament epistle, we do the same thing with, every New Testament epistle was written to a specific church, right? But it was also written for us in different generations as well. So like the church at Corinth, like the letter First and Second Corinthians, that was a letter written to that church, but we still apply it to our lives today. So that's kind of the point here. So verse 4 has some challenges. And we don't even get out of the verse before we have our second possible division. Uh, we see here John mentions not only there are seven churches, there's also seven spirits. So what in the world are these seven spirits? Again, there's debate over this. Uh, and when I say there's debate, I, I'm talking about in conservative camps. Amongst conservative theologians, there is division here on what this means. Uh, and so... Um, this idea of um, seven spirits, it, it can mean some things. So let me just say this. Um, there's this idea that um, the seven spirits, it refers to the seven archangels. Uh, this was from uh, like a Jewish culture. Uh, so those who had Jewish influence looked at this as being like seven archangels. Others see them as just being seven heavenly angels like this entourage 
that had a special ministry for Jesus. Others believe that this is a reference to the Holy Spirit, which is, this is where I would fall. Um, because of this number seven, meaning complete or perfect, uh, this is a reference to the perfect Holy Spirit, the perfect spirit, um, and he's there before the throne. So that's be, that would be where I fall on this. Um, the Holy Spirit is needed to bring to believers the grace and peace uh, that John greets them with here. And, and it's, it's the Holy Spirit's work that's needed if, if we as believers, if we're going to respond obediently to these words, we're going to need his help. And so here we see this is from the Holy Spirit. And then we also see in verse 5 that this is also from Jesus Christ. So it has this dual authorship. It's, it's being revealed from the Holy Spirit and from Jesus Christ. Verse 5, um, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Uh, the ruler of kings of earth. So here, we've seen John be called a witness. Now we see Jesus being this faithful witness. Uh, this word witness in the Greek is martis. Uh, a witness was a martis, which might sound familiar. It sounds like the word martyr. That's where we get our word martyr from. This is, comes from, like, our word martyr comes from this idea that the early church, that they were witnesses for, of Christ, of his, you know, Death, burial, resurrection. Many of them died because of that witness. And so they just became, that word just became martyrs. It was synonymous. So um, Christ here, he's this faithful witness. And not only is he a faithful witness, he is the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. So by being the firstborn of the dead, he did what no person ever has done. He died, which... Many have done that. But then he rose from the dead. And then we've, you know, we've seen that happen. We studied the book of, uh, of John when we saw Lazarus raised from the dead. But then he stayed alive. And so we've, that's the cool part is Christ died, rose from the dead, stayed alive. And this is the hope that all of us have. We, that we're not going to stay dead. That we're going to rise again. The dead shall rise. That's a theme we see here. Notice Jesus is also the ruler of the kings on earth. It does not say that he will be, but that he already is um, ruler of you know, all the kings on earth. This means all authorities, spiritual or earthly, are under his dominion and rule. So this is why like, the whole political season, like, some of you wanted me to speak more about politics. For me, like I, I just... I, I care about politics, don't get me wrong, but my, my, my king doesn't change every political season. My king is on his throne. My king has everything in his hands. He's in control. Everybody in leadership from city government to national government, like they're all under his reign, rule, and dominion. Like nothing happens without him knowing about it. So I sleep well at night knowing my king doesn't change. So here he's, he's in charge. He's reigning. And then we see in verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To him who loves us. To him who loves us. Now that's going to hit you differently. Some of you, you don't feel lovable. 
you feel like, man, like how in the world could God ever love me because of my past, the things I've done? How in the world could a holy God ever love me? You need to hear that this morning. To him who loves, present tense. Not who loved you until you worldly messed up. No, who loves us. He loves you right now. And he knows what you've done. He loves you. Now some of you, you have no problem with this concept of love. You think God owes it to you. How could he not love you? I mean, come on, look at you. You're you. And God should love you. Look at all the wonderful things you do for him. All the wonderful posts you make. I mean, the world is a better place by your existence. So how in the world could God not love you? I mean, we live in such a narcissistic culture that sometimes we think the world revolves around us, that we are the most important people in the world. I want you to just be reminded today that, like, just even as we sang earlier, like, God's wrath was upon us. Christ, his blood, took away the wrath of God. So that's why we say thank you, Jesus, because what, what he has done. So we often take God's love as something that he's owed to us. But we shouldn't forget that it's clear that his wrath was, it was, it's right now being held back against those who have not bowed their knee to him. And so Revelation, there's this picture here of a coming day where he's going to separate those who have bowed their knee, who love him, from those who haven't bowed their knee, who do not love him. That's coming. Not only does he love us, he has also freed us from our sins. That is beautiful. Notice, the love is present tense. He loves us. The freed here is past tense. He's freed us. That's done. So we are freed. How? By his... uh, you know, by, by the cross, by his bloody and brutal death on the cross, he has set us free from all of our sins. So what does free actually mean? So this is past tense. We've been free, but probably if you're like me, you don't feel freed. Like, there's still some sins you struggle with, right? Well, this helps me, this concept here. So that Christ has freed us from sin's penalty That's called in the Bible our justification. So that's what this passage is talking about. He's freed us. So you've been justified, meaning set free, declared righteous. But then we also have this concept that in this understanding that Christ is freeing us from sin's power. That's our sanctification. So Christ is freeing us. This is the now and not yet. This is... Like a good verse would be like Philippians 1.6. I'm sure this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Jesus Christ. You're, you're freed from that, but God is still working. He's, he's changing you. You're not the same person right now as you were last year. He's growing you. So this is where he's freeing you from sin's power. And then that Christ will free us from sin's presence. That's our glorification. That hasn't happened yet. You know, we're not glorified yet. Now, the beautiful part of this is you'll find all of this past tense in Romans 8, that you've been justified, you've been sanctified, you've been glorified, all spoken of in past tense in chapter 8, meaning Christ will get you through this. That as you're struggling with your sin, he's going to 
help you, shape you, guide you to keep fighting, to keep persevering through difficult times. And so your justification, sanctification, glorification is all this idea of God has freed us, freeing us, and will free us from sin. So that's the beautiful part. That's the end of Revelation where there's no more sin, no more shame, no more pain. It's all gone. So he's freed us. He's made us a kingdom, priest to his God, and father to, to, to be glory, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is amazing. So not only has he freed us, which means forgiven us, you know, that would be enough, right? Like if Christ just forgave us of our sins, like we'd be able to sing amazing grace, and that would be true. Like for him to forgive us of our sins, that's so kind, so gracious of him. But he's done so much more than that. Um, if you see here, he's made us into a kingdom. He's lavished upon us his riches. So he's calling us family. He's making us a kingdom. And we're here, we're priests to his God. So priest means that you're a mediator. Like you're, as Dustin mentioned earlier when he was up here, that we have a responsibility as priests to God that we're called to communicate the gospel to others. We're mediators. So God's given us this message. We're supposed to take it out to our family, to our friends, classmates, co-workers, neighbors. That's our job as priests. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. John is so overwhelmed here with the kindness from God that his only response is to give this glorious doxology. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen, <clears throat> excuse me, simply means it is so or let it be. So it's like affirming, like everything that just happened, please let that be. Amen, amen. So that's what, when you end the prayer and you say amen, what, what you mean, it's not like, it's like goodbye when you're hanging up with a phone call. It's not you, how you close a prayer by saying goodbye. Amen means everything I just prayed, please, Lord, let those things be. That's what amen means. So here he's saying, let these things be. And this is a very fitting end to this wonderful description of King Jesus. Verse 7, we have this transition. John has gotten us excited about who Christ is. And so now he transitions to get us excited about being ready, like to be in his presence. Verse 7, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who, who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So here's this command to behold. It means to look, to pay attention. It's this call of action. It, it's 25 times we see in this book this, like, hey, pay attention to what's coming. Behold. And, 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 and this is what he wants us to do, to pay attention. So what's coming next? Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Pay attention to this. Um, I think this is where, this is a literal historical event that's going to happen. Christ coming in the clouds. Uh, this is not like some metaphor just to help us with life, to get up every day. But he's literally going to come back one day. He's returning. There will be this 
other, you know, the second advent of his return. He's coming with the clouds where every eye will see him. I think this is a play off the Old Testament, where in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, when they're wandering in the desert after they left Egypt, before they go into the promised land, uh, the, the Jews followed him by cloud and day, by fire at night. It was a way to, to see where God was. And so here's this picture of him coming. And notice here, he's not coming in secret. His first coming, when he came as a baby, it was kind of under the radar. You know, there's an appearance to some shepherds, some wise men, some magi, but it wasn't like for the whole world to see. It was like this, you know, secret mission in some sense. Um, but here when he comes, it, it's, not, it's not under the radar. It, it's for every eye. It's even those who pierced him to all tribes of the earth will well on account of him. So his authority, his deity, his sovereignty, it will all be put on display for everyone to see. Now some of you, I'm, as you just some of you, 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 like, you like to push back and like, you like think through things and you're already going, okay, that seems kind of strange. Like how in the world can he appear to everyone at the same time? You know, my kids will even ask that question. You know, how can, you know, God's everywhere. How can you, know, you be in America and be in East Asia and see? So some of you are already thinking that way. Like how can God appear this, in this coming and every eye see him? You ready? I don't know, all right? I don't know. Um, but I'm guessing that the one who can come, who spoke everything into existence, who's defeated death, sin, he has it figured out. So this is where I just, I just trust. I just trust that, um, that somehow he's going to make it all happen. And then we finish with this powerful statement and title in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. God dis, uh, directly speaks in Revelation only three times. So if you, if you have a Bible that's like red letters where Jesus speaks, you only see red letters just a little bit in Revelation. Um, and this is one of those spots. Now, I would just say, now, I think all of the Bible is red letter is because it's all written by God. It's all breathed out by God. So it's all from God, but here we specifically see Jesus speaking. Here he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So the Alpha and Omega, these are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So this will be, we would say in our context, Jesus is from A to Z. And so what that means is he's the God who existed before Genesis 1, and he's the, the God who brings closure to our history. From A to Z, beginning to end. Um, he is who is and who was and who is to come. He's the Almighty. Uh, there's, none who's, there's none who's before him. So just think about that. Like there was never a time where Jesus came into existence. He always was. Right? Just think about that for a little bit. At the same time, he's the one who will always be. There's never be a time where there's not Christ. So this is, this is the God who is victorious. He is champion. Um, this is the, the whole thrust of the Bible is pointing to him. All of the Old Testament is trying to trace this, who is this baby going to come that's going to defeat the enemy? We see here that this is the Christ. 
So we make much of Christ. And so this is a God that you can trust. And with all your problems, give them to Jesus. Uh, he, he is there ready to, to help you in your time of need. Um, this is the God who keeps his promises. He makes promises, which we can do that, right? We're all good at making promises. Jesus is good at making promises, but he's good at keeping his promises. We're good at making them, but we're not so good at keeping our word. Here we see the promise maker and the promise keeper. All these things will happen. And so this begins our series of revelation. Um, God is speaking from heaven for us so we hear his word and keep it. And we are blessed by doing so. So this morning... We begin this journey in Revelation. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to keep singing about this one, this magnificent king, this lamb who is worthy to open up the scroll. So let me pray for us. Lord, you are so good. We thank you for this book. We thank you for the blessing that we receive by reading aloud this book, by hearing the words, and by keeping these words. So may we just sing about you in these songs. May we, may we not miss who you are. That you are Alpha Omega. That you are the King of all kings. That you are Lord of all lords. May we bow down to you. So may we just now spend some time making much of you through song. And I pray all of this through Christ's name. Amen.